Tim, good to be with you. Now, you've been in town for a couple of days now. What's going on, That what, what's happening that brings you to Athens? So uh, we like to get, quite frankly, out on the road from time to time. Um, we, you know, we, we can't sit in an office in Atlanta doing things. we got to go out and meet with the foster parents, the foster children, the workers in our agency. Uh, we want to get out and make sure that we know what's going on on the front lines so that we can uh, do a better job of serving the folks that we that we serve. You're telling me off air, still the interim. There's still that, that, that designation to the title. I don't like it. I like that we're all interim in some form or Certainly. fashion. But, I mean, what, what's, what's, the, what's the process here? How did you become interim, and what happens next? So, as you know, Governor Dill is leaving office at the end of the year, and uh, so he asked me to step in and sort of serve out the, the remaining few months of his term. Um, of course, we'll let the next governor determine whether or not I'll remain sure. interim or stay on. Now, he didn't pull your name out of a phone book. I mean, you have a resume that lends itself to this kind of work. Uh, step us through it uh, kind of yeah, quickly. Yeah, certainly. Ahead. I was a juvenile court judge down in my hometown of Sandersville, the Middle Circuit, uh, five counties down that way. Um, I was the state child advocate, so I was running the agency that sort of provides oversight for defects for several years. And that's what I was actually doing when uh, Governor Dill tapped me for this position. I'm looking at, at, at just the itinerary for your time here in Athens at a luncheon yesterday at the county office there on North Avenue. Uh, some folks you'll meet with at the University of Georgia, the law clinic down there, Clark County School Superintendent right. DeMond Means. You'll meet with foster parents, as you said, judges. Uh, a town hall meeting this afternoon, 530 at the Redeemer Presbyterian Church on Pulaski. What's going to happen there? So we're meeting with a number of our faith-based providers, especially. You know, we got promises. 686. We got chosen for life. We've got a, a really good church and faith community around this area that really wants to help our foster children, either by being foster parents or by supporting those foster parents. And so we're certainly out there to make sure that we are giving them the support that they need and also making sure that government doesn't get in the way of their ability to do this good what work. Is it, what is the law there as re regards faith-based organizations, their ability to take state assistance and, and to work within the framework of the supposed separation of church and state, people are raised concerns? What, what are the parameters? Well, I, th I think the, the basic constitutional principle is that someone should not be prohibited from providing support to children because they believe in God. And so we want to make sure as a government agency that we are taking anyone who wants to help children and that we're not putting any obstacles in their way. So we certainly welcome, you know, if you're going to do foster care work, if you're going to work with, with children who have been abused and neglected, you've got to have some purpose and some motivation for doing it. And uh, these folks who are motivated by their faith to do so. We really appreciate their work, and we certainly want to take that assistance and not stand in the way or putting any artificial barriers to their being able to do that. All right, Tom Rawlings with us again, the director, interim director of DFACS, State Department of Family and Children's Services. How big is this department? How many people? We've got 8,000 people, so it's divided in two, two parts. Really, we have our eligibility or our, uh, our for example, uh, TANF, uh, food mm -hmm. stamps, uh, those who make sure that our families are moving from a state of dependency to a state of self-sufficiency. And then we've got uh, another 5,000 or so who are working on the child welfare side. Um, who the, are The caseworkers. Exactly, caseworkers. And, uh, of course, those who are developing foster homes, those who are overseeing uh, foster homes, those who are providing services for children. So we've got a very, very large agency. All right, the, the, that number, 5,000, we'll focus on that one for a couple sure. of moments here. Uh, the two things that I think stand out about that number, it's a big number and it's not nearly big enough. It's... It's a big number. I would suggest to you that the, that we don't we have a lot of work to do. So, for example, we receive 197,000 reports of child abuse and neglect every year. 
Um, that's a lot of that's reports. A lot. It certainly and is. And do you chase down every one of those? Uh, some of them we don't chase down. Some of them actually are turn out to be not much at all. Uh, so, but you, know, you have to investigate. But we do have out. to look at them. We have to check out into them. And of course, we have fourteen thousand children in foster care right now, which is a very big number for us. Um, and that and those numbers have increased substantially over the last five or six years. So we're working right now to make sure that we're uh, trying to cut down on those numbers where we can by keeping, but we got to keep children safe. That's the number one priority. All right, let me back up there. Uh, that, that Again, 14,000 kids in foster care now, right. and that has increased, your word was, substantially over the last five, six years. Why? Well, there's been two things. Um, number one, uh, we have put in in 2013 a centralized intake number. So I think people are much more uh, willing to report child abuse to this central number. Uh, so I think we're actually catching uh, more more situations. So with children and I can abused. intuitively say there aren't necessarily more cases of child abuse. So we're doing a better job of getting to the ones that are occurring we're getting we're doing a better job of receiving those reports and responding to them okay uh in terms of though that that ratio if you got uh, 197,000 cases to deal with uh, again not all of them but but close enough to all of them let me round that up and make the math easy for me 200,000 sure and uh, 5,000 caseworkers let me just do that really simple math that that seems like awfully large case loads yeah so what you get well, actually our case loads uh, have been more manageable lately we're doing an average statewide of about 20 cases per worker but the 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 hard part for us, the management part, is making sure those caseloads are balanced. So in one county, we may have a low caseload. In another county, we may lose somebody to retirement or they go on and get another job, and we've got to very quickly fill those positions or else those caseloads are going up. And remember that most of our work is actually done not in foster care, but actually out in the community working with families that are still intact, working with uh, children who are actually staying with Grandmama or Aunt Sally. And so, you know, that's the probably the bulk of our work is going out into the field and working with those families that, that need help, but not to the extent that we need to take the child into foster care. Talk about these caseworkers for a moment. Uh, most of them, I, you tell me, I don't want to presume here, they, they come out of college, maybe the University of Georgia, something with what, social work degrees? Yeah, a lot of them have social work degrees. I think all of them who come to this work uh, want to help children, want to help families. I think one of the dilemmas we face is that uh, you know, our, our other community helpers, so to speak, as our kindergartners call it, you know, the policemen, the firemen, mm. uh, those folks get lots of respect and uh, sort of are looked up. Uh, well, they got at, uniforms and badges and guns. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but our social workers really deserve that same level of respect. What we've got to do a better job as, as a state and as a society is in making sure that we're recognizing the, the real value of that very difficult work. They're going I, out in a there's a word community. associated with those folks that I hear a lot. Uh, number one, they're not getting paid a lot. Uh, number two, the work mm. is difficult. The hours are long. The, the, the frustrations have to be just off the charts. Uh, yes, there are the occasional rewards and success stories, but the phrase of the word that I hear so often is burnout. There is a lot of stress. I will say uh, the, if, if for a, a young worker coming out of college now, uh, Governor Deal has authorized a couple of years ago about a 20% pay raise, so our, our salaries are much better. Uh, our agency is working very hard right now to make sure that we're supporting these workers. We're keeping their caseloads as low as possible, but mostly that we're giving them the emotional uh, support and the, the morale building support they need to, to really get into this work. You know, lots of work is stressful. Mm. The key is whether or not it's rewarding. And we want to make 
people understand or help people understand the, that this is very rewarding work for those who do it. It is stressful. It can burn you out. But if we support our workforce, then we're going to have folks who are going to stick around a long time and have a very good career. Introducing himself in a video to the 8,000 staffers who work in the State Department of Family and Children's Services in town and in studio with us this morning, uh, Tom Rawlings, the DFAX director, uh, 718 now, classics today. Uh, picking up where we left off, uh, we're talking about the, the, the caseworkers and the caseload and the folks that you uh, work with there at the Department of Family and Children's Services. I, I look at a lot of things this way. In the case of, of abused children, children coming out of of uh, the dysfunctional families. But I always say this, show me a functional family. I mean, right. we're all dysfunctional in some way, but thankfully most of us aren't in these abusive settings. If you have, oh, I don't know, 100 abused kids, you probably have 100 different stories with a lot of differences in them, but there are probably some similarities and some common threads too. There are. Um, I, I think our probably our biggest issue is substance abuse. Um, I'd say that 40% of our children we end up having to remove to foster care end up with substance, the parents have substance abuse issues. Uh, We talk a lot about the opioid crisis, about meth, but alcohol remains Mm. the leading cause of of, of parent parental troubles like that. Um, We also have, of course, mental health issues among parents, domestic violence, uh, you know, parents who are, are, are limited in some way and who just can't take care of their own children. So there, there are uh, lots of different stories. And of course, you also have to remember that a lot of it boils down to parents who just need some help. They're in a bind, they're in a bind because of a domestic violence incident. They need to be helped out of that bind and gotten back on their feet so that they can again take care of their children. What happens to these kids? You get a kid in the system, and you gave me the number earlier, 14,000 14, kids in correct. the foster care system. I, Thank God for the people, the adults, the, the foster parents here. But what happens? How does that process work? So whenever we have a child who we cannot keep safe in the home, and of course we try to keep them safe either in the home or with their own relatives. You know, no, no child, no matter what's going on in the home, ever wants to get yanked out of their school, away from their friends, away from extracurricular, extracurricular activities or football or whatnot, and put into foster care with a stranger. So we try to keep them whenever we can with a relative. But once we get involved, either because the child's in foster care or because we are asking the court to order some services to be uh, put in the home, then we follow that case for pro- usually about 12 months. I say probably the average stay in foster care is about a year. Um, the majority of those, after we provided some uh, services, and again, it may be substance abuse services, it may be helping the parent get back on their feet financially, get some counseling or mental health assistance, then we're able to reunite that family and then watch the family again for, for a few months until things settle down a little bit. Watching, that, that, means, that means literally showing up at the house, I guess. It does. We, uh, we try to make sure our caseworkers are going out there uh, certainly at least once a month, but we like it certainly every two weeks if we can. We, they do have high caseloads. We try to get these uh, caseworkers to engage with the families we try to make sure you know a lot of folks a lot of folks don't want to see defects show up on their front steps but what we try to do is to come in and in, in a helpful way and say look we know you may not want our help you may know you may not think you don't need our help but we really have seen a situation here it's been reported to us where you need some services let us provide those let us work with you and let us get you back on your feet so you can once again be 
an intact family. Yeah, again, a hundred families, a hundred variables. But I mean, do do the how receptive? Generally is the right word. How receptive generally are the families? Well, more receptive than than you'd think. We do have situations, of course, where folks want nothing to do. Because the ones that make the news are the situations where they barricade themselves in the house with a shotgun. Of course, and but those are very few and far between. Thank God. Yeah. And of course, we we work really hard to make sure that we come across to those families to show them that we're there to help them and not come across in some kind of punitive or police-like way. That's why we got social workers doing this work, because they are trained in how to work with people and how to get people to accept assistance. Now, when it comes time, and I don't mean to get too deep into the weeds here, but when it comes time to take that kid out of that house, you're not just showing up with a social worker. That's when the deputy's there too, right? Sometimes, but yeah. but often, often what we find is that the parents have at that point have reached the point where they realize that they can't do this by themselves the social worker can do it we do of course take law Mm. enforcement when we need to Um, but we also of course involve a judge at that point Um, we you know we don't remove children without a court order we make sure we're coordinating with the juvenile courts in the area to uh, to get the child into a proper foster home and to let the parent know what's going on and sometimes that's a, a good uh, step for the parent because once we get the child into the foster care system, once we call the judge, the parent gets an attorney, the child gets an attorney, we can all be in a courtroom together and we can all work out what the issues are and, and plan plan the next steps. 14,000 kids in the uh, the foster system in Georgia. How many foster parents? I think we have about, uh, Walter over here, my my press guy tells me we have like i think 1700 foster homes is that right and of course they rotate in and out with the 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 kids don't stay there permanently obviously so you you lose one foster kid you get another is is the way that they they rotate in and out we have two types of foster homes and i really should know the number but Mm -hmm. you don't don't have it with me Uh, listen in in terms of this is one way though this can be an entry point for people some of our listeners i know foster parents and i know people who've talked about it how would they get involved in that there's a couple different ways number one defects itself has a, a, we have our own foster uh, fostergeorgia.com is our website um, and if, uh, if, if folks want to call the number it's 800-210-KIDS um, but we also so we, we have our own foster care system we have DFACS we recruit our own folks we support our own folks but there are also nonprofits to do this work um, so groups like uh, Chosen for Life, um, like uh, Faith Bridge, like the Methodist Children's Home in North Georgia, all of those folks are also providing foster care for us. So there are a couple of different entryways here. And again, that website, fosterga.com, did I get that right? It's actually spell out. Spell out the word yeah, Georgia. It's fostergeo.com. R-G-I-A.com. Foster, so. spell out the word Georgia. Fostergeorgia.com and that number, I think I wrote it down, 800-210 or 210? 210 KIDS. KIDS. 800-210 KIDS. Again, the event this afternoon, 530 at the Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Athens. Uh, who's going to be there and what are you going to be doing? So we're got, uh, this afternoon we got Chosen for Life Ministries. Um, we've got, uh, I think, uh, Promise 686. Uh, we've got you know a number of our other faith-based providers who are... You know, these folks not only provide foster care, they also provide support services. So, for example, Chosen for Life has uh, care teams, and they, they'll get a church involved in simply supporting a foster parent, doing laundry for a foster parent. 
and uh, maybe providing a babysit babysitting for a foster parent. It's a good way for folks who are a little bit iffy about becoming foster parents mm-hmm. to sort of be introduced to the system, uh, to see what, what it is that foster parents do, to perhaps get inspired and excited about the idea. And they have actually found that a lot of the folks who have stepped in to be volunteers have ended up becoming foster parents themselves. No, I mean, you got the law degree, you're a judge. This has to be this job that you're in now. This has to feel a little bit like a calling, I would think. It's got to be. I think you can't be in this field unless you it unless you feel called to do it. Um, it is for me. It has. You know, my daddy. When I was little, my daddy always told me, "Get off the couch and go do something constructive." 